Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Speebly. If you haven't checked out Speebly yet, I strongly encourage you to do so. What it does is Instead of having a chatbot on your website, if you use the Speebly widget, you'll have a chatbot, but it will be a voice-based chatbot. You'll be able to have a conversation with your website or your client will be able to have a conversation with their website. And if you use Dialogflow for your Alexa skills or your Google Assistant actions, then you can point Dialogflow to Speebly and essentially you'll then be able to interact with your skill or action via the website It's absolutely fantastic. Also, based on the conversation that you have with the widget and how you configure it, you can actually navigate people through your site based on the conversation. It's absolutely fantastic. You should check it out straight away. Speebly have a deal for VUX World listeners where if you enable Speebly on one of your client's websites and your client then pays Speebly the monthly uh, fee for using the widget, Speebly will actually give you a kickback, which is fantastic because it means that the client gets to enable their website with voice. The user ends up having an engaging, interactive experience on your client's website and you get paid it's fantastic. You should totally check it out. Go to speebly.com slash V-U-X. That's S-P-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash V-U-X. On this week's episode of VUX World, we're speaking to Nick Carey of Potato. He's based out in San Francisco. Potato have an office in London. And Nick has been involved in some of the headline-grabbing, high-profile Alexa skills from the past year. We can't name names, uh, unfortunately, but... You will definitely have seen the headlines for this skill. Um, he comes from a gaming background, a gaming design background, and they use voice or potato really as as a, a way of augmenting the traditional or console gaming experience. So they've built what the concept is, is a voice assistant on an assistant. So Alexa is an assistant in, in its own right, but Nick's approach is to build an assistant on top of that platform, something that can help a user navigate through, let's say, a game and provide value and assistance uh, throughout that game so rather than you having to go into a menu and go and get your inventory you can just ask your assistant on the voice platform to go ahead and do that for you it was intended this episode was intended to advance the conversation we had with Gordon Midwood about how voice can augment the game and experience but what it turned into actually was just a whole conversation full of bags of insight from Nick the way that Nick is approaching voice and some of the kind of concepts and methodologies he's using is really really refreshing and there's so many things in this that you will you'll be able to use as a designer as a strategist and as a developer to really improve the way that you go about crafting experiences we have a really really good conversation about the concept of utility versus affinity and the difference between the two and how you need to be working on your brand and you need to be working on the personality of your brand if your experience leans more towards the affinity rather than utility Uh, we talk about the concept of using voice actors we talk about um, how some kind of voice experiences today are really basic because they're not taking advantage of the one thing that this this whole medium should be taking advantage of which is ai you know using the data that you have in all of the systems that you have and all of the the data you have on your users and and how can you personalize that experience and use ai to turn that skill into something that is unique and personal for the person using it rather than it being just a static piece of content where everyone gets the same thing 
this conversation is one of these conversations which is one of the best conversations we've had on the podcast we've had a few of them I think Matt Hartman was a really interesting one Joel Beckerman is another one Ben Sauer is another one people always come to me and you know they use those as examples of fantastic enlightening conversations and this is another one of those I'm obviously joined by Dustin Coates as I am each week ladies and gentlemen without any further ado this is Nick Carey of Potato on VUX World VUX World VUX World VUX World VUX World Branding with the big faces I love listening to it Kane Sims, the one and only Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Okay, Nick Carey, welcome to VUX World, my friend. Hey, how you doing, guys? Very well, very well. Yeah, what about you, Dustin? Yeah, doing okay. How about yourself, Kane? Very well, very well. Dialing in all the way from San Francisco, Nick. Yeah, yeah, based here in Cyber in San Francisco. Wicked. And right next door to where you used to be based, Dustin. Yeah, that's right. A lot of a lot of great startups there and, and a lot of, you know, great agencies and tech all around. Wicked. Uh, link LinkedIn over the road, did you say? Yeah, so we're across the road from LinkedIn. Um we've got Slack on like one of the other corners of our street, so surrounded by some of the big tech companies. Wow. Nice. Sounds good. So Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and about kind of what you're up to and a little bit about Potato as well? Yeah, sounds good. So I lead the design team here at Potato, um, based in San Francisco, London and Bristol. Um, I'm a designer who's come from a bit of a uh, varied background. Um, I My kind of background initially was in a, from a business degree, so working on that side and then started to apply it to design. Uh, through a startup that I founded. Uh, I spent five years in startups um, and kind of worked in a few different verticals, so from advertising um, and media through to uh, a legal startup, uh, looking at how you can use AI to disrupt the legal industry, um, which was a fun challenge. Um, Got um, the usual startup grind caught up with me after five years, and I really wanted to look at how I could apply what I've learned at a range of different companies. Um, and so I came across Potato, who um, is kind of a, a product development studio, uh, as a great opportunity to go and work on for a lot, range of different clients on a range of different problems and, and learn a whole bunch of new things and be able to use um, lots of new technologies. And so Potato uh, really gave me that opportunity and that platform um, to look at how we can use different things. And obviously that's how uh, I got to voice uh, as well. So um, Potato, Potato's kind of MO is launching purposeful and effective products. So we talk a lot about building for humans. So thinking about how things become human centered. We talk a lot about uh, how you can make new technology uh, work in tangible ways that actually add value, uh, so not just being used for gimmicks. Um, so, voice is really appealing to us um, because of all of the the great things about voice in terms of its usability and its practicality. But it was also really interesting when we started to work with um, some clients on some different opportunities, which we launched with Amazon. So, one of the first ones that we did uh, was with Jamie Oliver back in. 
2016, um, and that was when Alexa was launching in the UK. And then since then, we've actually worked on uh, quite a few gaming um, concepts with a range of different clients. Cool. You mentioned the word studio there. I'm, I'm seeing that kind of thrown around here and there and everywhere. Is that essentially because you focused on the the design and build of the product or the experience and you're not really bothered about who it is that you're working with? Is that is that a fair description? Yeah, I mean, actually, the reason for using the word studio is we don't like to call our space an office. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main reason being that we like people to feel really comfortable and, and there's lots of sofas and things like that and I guess it comes from like a, a bit of a kind of cultural thing from uh, the agency land. But yeah, we mainly that's the reason as opposed to necessarily who we work with. Okay. Because there's, there's, there's agencies, I suppose, that seem a little bit kind of traditional now, don't they? But then, you know, the terminology I'm hearing these days is oh, it's all about studios and labs. Yeah, I think there's like a, I mean, the agency model itself is... Uh, is kind of going under a big transformation and potatoes are quite different to a lot of agencies. We don't, one of our biggest differences is we come from an engineering base. So most agencies out there are typically creative first and we come from a very strong technical foundation. So uh, our, our founder was an engineer um, and from there we've built, um, so when I joined there was no design team and uh, We've gone along the years and built up a design team at Potato. So um, one of our kind of USPs there being that we can build design into an engineering foundation, and that's how you can build great products, having good engineers and good designers sitting side by side along with great product strategists. And, and so I, I have to ask, why Potato? <laughs> great question. Uh, that's the question that everyone always asks, and uh, it's really bad because there's no, like, clear answer to it so our founders never really given the real reason i mean as kane probably knows uh, sitting in england um it the most likely story is they were sat in a pub and had some chips in front of them as we call them in the uk and who doesn't want chips and this is one of the things that, that i this is my flavor of the story which is everybody likes potatoes you don't meet somebody who says they don't like a, <laughs> potatoes and so one of the this is the kind of more professional spill which is that potatoes are really versatile you can use them however you want and so being an agency and working across different verticals and things like that you can kind of expect us to be able to adapt and 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 work within any kind of challenge cool and um yeah so so chips when we say chips we're talking about fries aren't we yeah but, yeah Dustin, do they have because I was thinking about this the other day when we ordered a bowl of hand-cooked, kind of home-cooked chips, which are like really thick, fat, like massive chips. Do they? Do you still call them fries in America, or is that? Do they not exist? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, to me, the the word chips is is really weird. If I'm being completely honest, the way you guys use it, <laughs> to me, a chip it really signifies the onomatopoeia, the the crisping of the. <laughs> of the as you break it apart and you crunch on it whereas fries right they can be they can be soft they can be waffle variety they can be 
uh, wedges. They could, I think this actually goes back to exactly what you were talking about. Potatoes can just be, you know, a huge type of type of any kind of food you want to put it into. Uh, so we could go on for probably the next hour, but I think people probably want to hear us talk about voice rather than potato products. <laughs> classic yeah um okay okay then so let's do that then shall we let's let's get into some some voice chat so um nick you mentioned there that you worked on the early kind of jamie oliver skill and that now you were doing a lot in the kind of gaming space and using voice as an accompaniment with kind of uh, games and we spoke to uh, Gordon Midwood uh, not last week but the week before I think it might have been um, and they're doing something interesting with Anything World where you can kind of speak it with their platform allows you to kind of speak to it and it will kind of bring into the gaming experience something that you've asked for so in their kind of prototype you ask for a, a koala and it'll put a koala into the platform sort of thing um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the the kind of use cases that you've been tackling and, and some of the kind of projects? I know we're, I know we're not in the realms of, of naming names at this point, but just broadly speaking for those listening, some examples of the kind of stuff that you've been working on in the gaming kind of uh, environment. Yeah, so the reason why um, we've been working a lot with gaming is um, one of the things that voice can bring is a whole new interaction pattern. So typically we thought about gaming from very much a controller first perspective. And that means kind of using your hands, um, pressing buttons, and that's how your mode of interaction, typically for like the last 15, 20 years with games longer, um, if you go all the way back to Atari. And one of the things that people love about games is storytelling. You know, the best games out there, the best selling games are all based around great stories, um, especially when you go into kind of big action games. And the way in which you interact with a story is very passive when it's through a controller. And so what voice can bring to that table is a new way for you to interact with characters within a game. And being able to use that to both interact with characters within the game, but also thinking about faster path to action within a game, that comes back to one of the big USPs of voice, right? If I want to um, kind of equip a weapon or... Um, be able to use um, one of some magic potion that would normally take five menu presses and, and kind of a whole range of screens to get you using a controller, all of a sudden that immersive experience becomes much greater. Um, so one of my uh, stories, and I mentioned this one to Kane recently, uh, is because we, we, love, we love the science fiction and kind of like being able to pull out the references to, to, um, to kind of like other other cult references when we talk about voice and one of the ones which I'm always surprised most people don't mention is uh, one of the recent Spider-Man films where um, he puts on the spider suit for the first time and he realizes he can use his voice to change some of the ways in which he uses a suit and, and that really brings to life some of like the ways in which gaming can use voice. And then aside from that and kind of on a more personal level, one of the things that's amazing about voice for games is games are a little bit of a sandbox for where we want voice to go so this is really really what gets me is in the future if we think back to kind of like i'm going to use another cold reference we always talk about like her um the input method of a voice assistant knowing lots about you is very manual right now you know you kind of have to tell a voice assistant manually add things to your calendar input things 
into an app um, in order for it to learn. And most of them don't really have that much training involved in actually learning about you. But because of the way in which a video game is structured uh, with a clear path um, and an API, which you can use that data to program and understand a user's behavior, then you could actually build these recommendation engines that take into account what you've done and where you've been. And so it's just like a sandbox of where we want voice assistants to go. And it's quite a fun space to play with it. So it sounds as though from, from what you were talking about there, and, and we haven't necessarily uh, covered this in great detail, and maybe this is an indicator that we probably need to, is that you were talking very much about the AI and the recommendations and the learning behavior and the kind of like personalization part of the assistant, which isn't necessarily anything to do with the voice input and voice output bit. Talking about that as if it's as if it's one, as if it's the same thing, is that kind of your understanding of it? Or would you see that the AI and, and, and all that behind the scenes stuff is something separate or is that part of the voice assistant? That's a good, really good question. Um, I mean, they're separate, right? Um, one thing is kind of the voice as an input method. I guess this is where it, this is where kind of voice today versus voice where we want the voice to get to. Voice is obviously a really good input method. But my question when I play with some, some voice experiences is what am I getting back from, from it? So what's kind of the, the effort to reward or um, is it kind of a static experience which I'm going to kind of the third party's built and I'm going to get bored of pretty quickly kind of thing is it providing me back any value as a user and one of the really interesting areas for voice is how I mean one of the benefits of voice is a short command hopefully can do so much for you and in order for that to happen it perhaps for some kind of like for some things that aren't hardware based, you know, like turning on a light, for things that are more software in the nature, I think we need to see kind of some uh, AI based work for it to kind of do some interesting things for me. So whether that's there's informational services such as what the weather is or, or kind of what's on my calendar today. But if I want to kind of get some further value beyond informational services, then there's an interesting element to it of what what might be more AI based. Because mm, most of the AI side of things right now is all in the kind of natural language understanding, isn't it? And not actually what you end up having to or wanting to do. Is that where gaming bridges that gap in that there is more kind of AI capability that you have at your disposal? If you're building a game anyway, you might use that AI. So you've already got that at your disposal. Is that fair as it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what the output is. So, like, if my input is something and there's a lot of data related back to the input I'm giving my voice assistant, um, then there's an opportunity there to do something interesting back with it. Um, what would an example if, of that be? So, as an example of that being, um, let's say, I was looking for a recommendation on, on, on what I should do next within a game. Um Obviously, there's a lot of kind of game level data. There's a lot of like user level data. Um, and so there's an opportunity there for kind of thinking about, okay, with the user level data that we have, e.g. your ability to um, perform in this type of activity versus this type of activity. So that might be 
um, let's say if it's a game that's based on kind of if it's a game that's based on shooting and and kind of PvP versus PvE, so player versus player versus player versus environment, and you're more suited towards player versus player um, activities than player versus environment activities. And on the other hand, there's kind of like game level data and there's a new tournament coming up. Um, you can then kind of build a recommendation engine around that, which would then be able to say to the user, hey, based on these kind of stats, you will most likely to be performing well in this kind of activity. Um, and it can be using that data over time to say, hey, you, you've been improving your activity in these type of these type of kind of environments, why don't you try this one next? So from the kind of levels of data which exist um, within the game, that voice input is is great, but the, able, the ability for the output to be manipulated in such a way that it's dynamic based on data is what I think is a really interesting space because when I talk to a human I get a lot, most of my value back from what the other human says back to me, right? And I think that's where I relate back to the voice input, as you mentioned, back to kind of what the voice, the output is in return. If I'm looking for um, it to perform an action for me, such as turning on the TV or switching on my lights, then it's very transactional. Um, I'm expecting it to do something for me. It's kind of very subservient in its methods of, as an assistant. If I'm asking for information again, I kind of just want the information as, as cleanly and as quickly as possible. But if I'm looking for something on kind of a, a slightly more emotional connection level or something where I'm looking for that kind of un level of understanding of me, then yeah, I think that's when data and AI does start to come to play a part. And those are the hardest parts of the experiences to build right now because as a human, expecting the assistant to know that much about me, it needs to source that data from somewhere. And hence my kind of like line of thinking here in terms of like gaming being so interesting for that because there is that level of data of you as a gamer within games. And so there's that opportunity to think a bit further about what that, what that assistant is returning back to you. If you're a game company and or a game studio and you have multiple games that you might release on voice, can you take some of that information about the users from one game and apply it to another? Or are these really uh, completely separated and each one has to develop that personalization? Yeah, that's a really good question there, Dustin. And last year I was at GDC with Amazon um, on Amazon's booth. And I was talking to um, some different games companies about this, and one of the things uh, about about and there was a lot of interest at last year at GDC. So Amazon had a great Alexa booth um, at GDC last year, and and on the Alexa booth, lots of games companies were talking and really interested in in voice and how voice could be applied. And and one of the things about it, and this is I think one of the challenges in 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 getting kind of voice into games is thinking about it early enough because you have to expose that data over an API. And so how you're thinking about your API and your game and being able to make that work is really important. And then building that player persona. So a studio or a publisher could create that data and then perhaps have that data live 
as a profile view between games. There are some publishers that have like profiles that are across multiple games. But the more and more games are changing and like the revenue models of games are changing very quickly right now, um, et cetera, there is that really interesting opportunity to think about kind of data within games and thinking about how they might be used in these new and interesting ways. So it's a real space that's right for, right for thinking about kind of voice or, or different ways of interacting with, with games. Mm. And it, I think that's probably like it's such an interesting area that because quite often, let's let's say if you're a hobbyist and you're building an Alexa skill, you'll quite often create the entire thing. You might use some, I mean, you might build a weather skill and use like a, an API or something, but let's say you build a game or you build an interactive story or you build something that's a standalone thing, then you're essentially ha- you're creating that data capture rather than using existing data from elsewhere. And it's kind of like one of the things that... You know, one of the things that people kind of talk about often is that we're waiting for that kind of killer kind of app or whatever that's going to come and revolutionise and make voice kind of shoot into the stars or whatever. Um, but it sounds it sounds as though the kind of this using this data and understanding people's preferences and kind of being able to to kind of like tailor what the assistant does based on previous behaviour. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dustin, in terms of is there not enough data in terms of when people are building skills, is there not enough data to get them started and they're starting from scratch? Is that why some of these things are not quite as sticky? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we struggle with on the search side as well. Uh, really, we talk about games now, but it applies to everything. The more information you have about someone, the more you can aid them in discovery, aid them in, in building a context eventually for them. And what I'm wondering if, is is there something that Amazon can do, that Google can do, that essentially will pull this information together to uh, exactly like you said, allow those indie developers to build those uh, to build those experiences and bootstrap them a little bit? Yeah, big time. And I think one of the spaces that I've kind of seen a lot of people excited or heard a lot of interest is kind of medical, right? You know, there's a real lot of people that are kind of really excited about when um, the right things are going to be in place to be able to u- have voice work in a kind of sensitive and data sensitive way so you can start to build some of those kind of experiences and uh, I mean Apple have been pushing kind of building that data about you through watch and etc like for medical for quite a while and being able to use watch for recommendations and things like that that's been pretty much one of the main like wearable routes um, is building up that data about you and then being able to make recommendations. And I think for voice, that's going to be a really interesting one once kind of um, all the approvals happen and the technology changes so that it's not sending all that data through the cloud, but being able to use it locally, but then being able to use that for like health recommendations. Like there are some there are some good ones. There have been some, I've had some really interesting things about people looking at habit forming and things like that through voice. But um that's one where perhaps that data flow is going to be really interesting for developers and perhaps lead to what that future billion dollar idea is in voice. Um, but I definitely think to your point that came, the two are almost definitely linked in terms of having to create experience through voice and all using static content that's created now versus creating something that's actually aware of the user is, is kind of that 
that bridge to gap, that bridge to build. Hmm. And it's it's interesting because this hasn't come up for a while, but it is stuff that we've kind of touched on in previous shows where we've spoken to Rain Agency, for example, and they were talking very much about voice essentially being, from a utility perspective, being part of your system's ecosystem. And you might have a mobile app, you might have a, a, something on the watch, but then you might have a voice assistant and it all uses the same systems integration. So you're getting the knowledge from that side of things. And then I think it was Matt Hartman that was talking before that about how the way that most companies are approaching building out products is that they will build a core suite of technology or, or the brain, as he called it, and then the interface is almost negligible. Like It doesn't really matter what the interface is because you're using that core kind of brain. So And, and then it kind of becomes, um, again, the, the, the intelligence is, is central, and then the voice is essentially just the thing that accesses it and, and, and returns it. Yeah, and and... I mean, if you look around and look at some of like the patents and things like that, there's like um, Amazon have got some like things around how they use looking to use like empathy in a, in a user's voice um, and be able to recognize that as cues and things like that. So there's all these kind of pointers as well towards where we want that technology to go to that will allow us to build those experiences that truly understand the user rather than understanding the input. So I think like that comes back full circle back to one of the points you made earlier, Kane, which is like all of the work right now is is kind of like in the understanding of the words said versus actually that next level above, which is like understanding more than that. So whether it's the sound of the user or relating what they said to kind of what what we know. It's I think, and I think this is kind of like getting into the 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 point that that you can we've spoke about before and and the kind of angle that you take when when creating voice assistants in the gaming world is that that concept of building an assistant on an assistant and we'll, we'll let you, I'll let you kind of explain what that means but essentially as it stands at the moment a lot of these third party skills tend to just be one off things one-off pieces of functionality whereas you're approaching that slightly differently when you're working with voice with games yeah it's a really interesting thing because i this kind of this way in which i map a lot of them because we we often talk to other brands and and there's kind of this uh, map and i'm going to draw boot my hands but no one's going to be able to see this when they hear it but there's like two axes um so one of these axes is like utility which we talk about a lot of the time with voice it's like how much utility is there but one of the other axes is affinity so it's like how much affinity does the user have back with with that brand or that skill that application whatever it is so you can build something with a ton of utility right um you can have like the weather has a ton of utility what's the weather um the amount of affinity you get back with it if it's kind of low for the weather you don't really care, it's transactional information, but you always need it. As soon as you start to move away from something that's high, ultra high utility, um, you need more and more infinity for, for your users to want to keep coming back to you. So let's say um, your brand is, let's give her something fun as an example, um, Nike. A lot of people really love Nike as a brand. Now Nike can move down the utility uh, spectrum if they've got a really, really high brand affinity. However, for a brand, even a brand like Nike, um, that affinity 
it's not as much as say like a character in a game or something like that or a tv series that people kind of want to come back and like binge on um and so that's where you can really start to skew like utility versus affinity and so it's a really interesting dynamic between the two and the way in which you kind of get closest uh, or in the best place between them is kind of having a strong emotional connection back and so if you can build a skill that increases the affinity so it gets to know you or, or can build give you recommendations then you can actually use voice to increase the affinity between you and the brand is kind of like the way in which we we talk about this and so that's why we start to talk about assistant on assistant because it starts to think of a bit more when we talk about the word assistant or the reason why we use the word assistant it's thinking a little bit more about what's the value you get back from talking to like a physical speaker or, or your phone and so we want that to be as l an increasingly less transactional experience if the utility isn't exactly like something that I have a habit for being experience of needing every day, such as the weather. This sounds a bit like our conversation came with the BBC kids, where they had that affinity the kids have for this specific presenter, and they're they're going there to really speak with with that presenter with that character. Nicholas, uh, yeah, that you was a great episode, by the way, guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed that BBC Kids one because it was really interesting. Kind of, hit. it's a lot of parallels, right? The kids space, like the game space, it was really interesting hearing those parallels and kind of like that random sorting of like where the BBC were just shuffling and using a random, random, random kind of thing if the voice input wasn't recognised. But the fact that hey, you didn't need to have that high utility because if the kids got the kind of completely random new character to speak to that was just as fun and so the affinity was so high that the utility didn't need to be perfect and it's a really great example of, of that kind of that kind of craft and curve in place what what other brands would you say are doing a good job of building affinity into voice experiences that's a that's a great question so it's it's i'll give you an example of one where i think um actually that kind of affinity and utility was really well combined which is uh, one that gets spoken about quite a bit this tide um i don't know if you come across the tide um skill but the tide skills uh used for stain stain removal uh, and so they did a really good job of kind of taking something that if if you were like would you use a tide skill you probably go why why would i add a skill for Tide to my Alexa, why would I want to talk to Tide? But um, where they, what they did is they really thought about that utility point uh, really well. So um, you ask the skill for like a, a red wine uh, stain on the carpet and you, and you kind of get, you say you've got that stain and Tide will tell you how to remove it. And what they did is they really thought about that assistant on the assistant model in kind of the most um, true way possible. Uh, how can Tide be useful to me from an affinity point of view? How can I build that uh, connection back with Tide in a way in which it helps me? And, and they did it in a way in which they didn't need to know necessarily the data actually, um, but they found a way in which their product really fits that kind of value proposition in terms of where where the user will need it and how the user can create its voice back to talk to you in that scenario. And so you you can ask it for a different type of stain and it will title tell you how to remove the stain using their products and so what that ends up doing is saying hey when i need help i'm going to ask when i need help with the stain i'm going to ask tide 
And so they've kind of changed their brand language there around around it to fit to voice. And so rather than coming up with, hey, let's do a, like a campaign or anything that's marketing driven, they just really, truly kind of looked at the user journey and the customer experience and found where voice would best fit their product. So as so this just just to confirm this is what you're saying that the less utility you provide the more affinity you need to build. Yeah. Okay. So for something that is just where's my parcel, you know, what's the weather, that kind of stuff, it's not as important, but when you start getting down into the more kind of things where engagement is more important um, and utility is less so, that's where you need essentially to have more of a relationship, I suppose. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things that we've been doing a lot is like using um, not just Alexa's voice for that, right? So kind of recording uh, new audio as well. So one of the things that we did on one of the skills that we built was um, using kind of a, an actor, um, quite a famous one, and um, recording a ton of custom audio. And then using kind of some of the techniques from video games, um, another great one. I always, I always laugh because, um, like, I remember some of the great lines from FIFA 98, uh, <laughs> where it was like, you make a tackle, and it says that tackle hurt my whole family. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's, some, there's some really good lines in that game. And it's like that kind of, like, dynamic audio that you get back from, like, video games, where you make an action and you see you get some funny response. And it's that's kind of the affinity side, right? It's like if you can build in that custom audio and think about it creatively, so great copywriting being something that's really important in the process, um, you can really start to build up that affinity. Mm. And that's I've, I have seen an example of that being attempted, but so for example, in that in that FIFA example, you might have like I don't know twenty, thirty, a hundred responses that you'll put randomly in different places and i've seen uh one example of a skill which i won't i won't mention but they tried to use that but they only had like two or three variations so you get to the end of a particular point and you get wrong random variation but then once you've been in there for a while you get the same variations over and over and over it's kind of like you know there wasn't quite as as much of it kind of there yeah so we use dynamic stitching so um one of the skills that we did we Put, um, maybe this is a little more technical so Dustin will enjoy this is we put um, thousands of different um, samples into an S3 bucket and then based on the type of response and the, and the kind of input from the user um, as well as some of the input from the game we then choose to dynamically stitch together all of these different variations from S3 on the fly and return them back as one single MP3 and so we took um several thousand lines and created a uh, hundred million res- possible responses from it um which is really fun that was like one of the funnest challenges i worked on in, in the voice space it was just like creating these really complex maps of different um different responses and then stitching them together to make tons of variations so we can take for example a percentage level and then based on whether the percentage level is in um, a certain percentile create a different percentile type response that adds some kind of flavor of like success or hey you should definitely be doing better um but then like with tons of different personality within them so we then have like different buckets of these different types of percentile responses so there's this really fun ways of creating this like huge amount of affinity by creating these like dynamic stitched on the fly mp3s wow 
how do you how did you do that so that it sounds more natural so you don't have the classic you have 80% <laughs> remaining. Yeah, yeah, that's a, we, so luckily, uh, working with video co game companies, um, they actually have tons of experience with that um, in the audio recording process. Um, so we used a professional studio for that. Um, and one of the things that um, I didn't know as well is just like the quality of the act is so important there um, in the voice recording. Um, it sounds really natural. But also kind of like putting punctuation in the right places makes such a difference. So uh, recording the kind of stems in the right way. So kind of recording, you have 80% um, rather than you have an 80% as separate stems. Um, it's a little bit more work in the recording, but the results made it easier for us to kind of create the stems. So like you have 80% and then being like going into a new line and then starting that new line with dude, that was absolutely terrible, <laughs> like uh, a separate line. Um, that just makes the stitching so much easier because you've got this part of the stem and this part of the stem and you're relating kind of 80% to you're absolutely killing it, man. Um, that's kind of two separate stems so they all can work much much better on the fly um, in terms yeah, of changing and I, I imagine the bucketing that you mentioned helps with that a lot as well. So that you're not saying 1%, 2%, 3%, but any, you have like say 10 buckets, then you just have to record 10. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we, we ended up recording, um, 4,000 or 5,000 lines. Um, but yeah, we used like, although we recorded that many lines, we actually had quite a big number of buckets enabled us to create that many millions of variations because actually that's where like having a hundred bucket hundred lines of one percent two percent three percent it's actually that's not where we want the most amount of variance we want the most amount of variance in the in the fun lines like you're killing it and, and that stuff so that's a, a good example of where what you mentioned at the top of the show was that you know the the team that you work with in the company comes from an engineering background so um, that's probably where I'm assuming that those kind of skills come in handy when you just say, look, we want just loads of random variation in the responses to make it really engaging and to increase the affinity. And if you've got the, you know, the technical kind of bedrock to, to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, I mean, that was definitely one of the, one of the things that was really useful. And then being able to kind of look at that and pushing kind of talking to Amazon, who are really great partners um, to work with on some of the skills that we've worked on in terms of like the amount of like stitching or the amount of like audio files you can return and things like that. So, um, hundred percent, um, something that, that our engineers are, are really great when coming to them with these kind of ideas and, and pushing the boundaries. What's your kind of approach to, to creating this kind of stuff then, you know, let's, I know I've seen a, um, a post you wrote on uh, was it Advertising Week? I think it was uh, from uh, last June, and you kind of touched on some of the kind of process in terms of um, the process that you would go through in creating this. I'm wondering whether we can kind of touch on, you know, how how you approach creating an assistant on an assistant, and then how do also the design and development and strategy kind of components all work together? Yeah, so. I actually always take everything like right back out of voice always at the start of any kind of process and start doing things like empathy maps. So um, obviously this is 
UX, like VUX, so kind of coming back right back to user experience here and kind of like empathy maps and understanding personas um, and really kind of talking through the user side of it first. One of the things, even like talking about games and some of the games that we've worked on, there's so much variation in the type of people that play games and, and the reason they play games. And so if you're talking about building like an assistant or an assistant or anything that kind of needs to talk to people at like a human level, taking that human-centered approach is like number one. And I think that's one of the things that too quickly when we play with new technologies or or, or new things that are things that designers or engineers like to kind of have fun with, we sometimes forget some of that fundamentals of product design and, and product development. Which, which is so important to come back to. So it's really about kind of understanding like your users. And if you're building for a brand or coming back to like talking in advertising week, so why brands should build for voice. Again, it's kind of not starting with any creative concept thing or anything like that, but like going back to that tide example that I used earlier in the show, it's about like, why do people want to use this? Like, where does it fit into their user journey? Uh, where does it feel fit into the customer experience and like what's the right point in which you're going to engage them and then meeting the user where they are right it's like don't force them to say hey brand Y or brand Z or app said like do this for me and that's not part of their natural language it's not part of the way in which their modes of thinking are especially with voice where it's so tied to like their own words and their own ways of talking so kind of Part, kind of first part of the answer there is definitely about um, really thinking through the user experience and, and the customer experience. Um, have you got any? Did that did that answer everything there, Kane? Or yeah, of- yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of before you kind of well, it, it, approaching it not like a voice specific thing, but approaching it from a, a typical kind of design, product design, user experience design kind of perspective. Yeah, and, and I think looking at like not just voice, but like AR and VR, which are like other emerging technologies, it's kind of like really kind of obvious when you see kind of the amount of waste in, in, in kind of work in all of these spaces where there's kind of so many things that people don't use or don't enjoy or, or don't really connect with kind of people that aren't hugely in tune with the space. That's one of the things that um, is always really interesting is kind of how do I make this work for my sister uh, who doesn't kind of, who uses her kind of Google Home because I bought it for her and uh, uses it to turn on Netflix and her TV kind of thing? What's what's the reason why? Um, what's the reason why kind of somebody who's not working in tech right now is going to care about what you're working on? Mm. It's the kind of eighty twenty rule, isn't it? Like where twenty percent of your features are used by eighty percent of your users, or you know, so it's kind of like I suppose. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why you start out from that human centric perspective. Is you, what you're aiming for really is you want to try and find what that twenty percent is. Yeah, exactly, and that's a big reason why. Like, I'm going to bring it back to like potato for a minute. What we kind of hold very dearly these four um, ideologies that we talk about a lot, which is kind of like making new technology count in terms of like the positive and like transformational effects of technology, or how we make digital work for kind of real people's lives to positively like complement interactions that they have in the real world. Um, And so 
that kind of thinking is is kind of I think really important quite often lost when we just get left to our own creative direction which is like how can I make something cool that I would use because I use an Alexa device every day and, and this will be fun mm-hmm. and then how do you take that on then from from defining the the user and the persona and stuff like that and and how how does it kind of transform from that into uh, an actual project or into a product yeah um so one of the key things again a little bit to this is just staying as low fidelity as possible um so being able to um kind of not go into any of the tech side first but actually mocking through real world conversation um and and kind of using that research uh first is staying really lean to prove the concept is viable or not and that's also kind of how we build up that kind of empathy map or that user persona stuff is like really actually talking to people like who we want to use this or who we think would use this so being in tune with them and saying if you could talk to um i'm going to say like as an example for like a video game if we were using an example of a video game or let's say the video game's character was harry potter if you were to talk to somebody who reads harry potter books and say if you were to talk to harry potter what would you ask them like that's starting to get into someone's imagination and brain and kind of like as a someone with affinity back to a character where they would see that kind of development go and so even if that's kind of like a fictional character who someone would really like to be able to talk to from a storytelling video game perspective or let's say if that was a replaced with a brand and that brand was like let's say um going back to my example earlier nike what would you want nike to be able to do for you then and kind of really starting to ask the users because that's where you're going to kind of start to see some really interesting ideas come around. Mm. And do you kind of, from that point, is it from a design and development perspective, is it kind of like the designers and developers are working closely together throughout this kind of period? And then is it kind of a the same kind of approach into the kind of the build in terms of iterative, iteratively building it out and, and usability testing or whatnot at every point? Yeah, we take every, so we're very like we're very much like an agile studio. So we do everything in two weeks um, and we take a very outcomes focused approach. So trying to measure every sprint with like an outcome and seeing whether there's a hypothesis to be validated. Um, so we take a very hypothesis driven approach all the time. So like we might have a hypothesis from like empathy maps and research that users want to kind of ask you or talk to uh, a fictional character or, or a brand about X or Y. And so we'll then work as designers and engineers as closely and collaboratively as we can together to be able to test and build something as quickly and as lean as we can to see if that is a hypothesis that we should kind of move into production or scale up and, and think around. So we'll try and put together the right pieces to do that. Um, and think about what the right kind of quality and fidelity is for that. Yeah, I think the the last question that I would have for you is, uh, you you weren't doing voice uh, forever. It sounds like maybe you came into it when you when you joined Potato. How is it different than what you thought it was going to be coming in? Really different. Um, I think one of the things that. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting is is um, 
and I, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really curious if this is the same for other people, but how it's kind of really um, engaged in my brain in different ways. And so it's piqued a lot of curiosity that I perhaps didn't have before, like curiosities in linguistics, um, curiosities in kind of like how people talk and the words that they choose to use for different scenarios. And um, it kind of had me have reading into kind of things that go back a hundred years in linguistics that I kind of haven't really kind of found that I did so much with like visual design for like graphical user interfaces. And so one of the things that just piqued my curiosity and one of the things that I think is so interesting about voice is how it starts to question so much more about our own identity and our own ways of talking and thinking and uh, our ways of being that's so different to how we design and build for graphical user interfaces. Mm. And kind of different it affects how you kind of form relationships, doesn't it? You I mean you'd be, the whole most of this conversation has been about creating affinity, which which is you know creating an emotional connection and then a relationship with that assistant, which is fundamental to to you know to what humans are, isn't it? Making connections, building relationships. Yeah, exactly. It had me looking at some completely random books along the way about like how you get people to like you. Like, uh, not something that I choose to read myself, but it's like a really interesting book in terms of if you're building this third party character, what are the attributes of a third party character from a, like a things like personality versus character versus attitude, like all these different components that study from kind of a very psychology driven route in terms of like, because we can, because there's no screen as well, so you're one step removed from like, it's just the word sometimes, how people listen to those words and what kind of what kind of reaction that triggers in people. It's such an interesting thing. And I think that's where sometimes there's this kind of little bit of trepidation in going into voice from like a, a big brand perspective. It's like um, thinking in terms of like, well, how am I going to talk to kind of customers in the right way, which uh, creates our brand identity in a new kind of audio drum route and this it's really interesting it kind of goes into radio like some really interesting areas i haven't studied much like radio as well like creating radio ads which is and what the right right voices for those so so many interesting roads that just branch out from so many different avenues that i hadn't explored before so really fun Fantastic. Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. If people want to kind of keep up with your exploration and uh, and kind of figure out what's going on with you or reach out to, to you and Potato, what's the best way for them to, to follow you or reach out? Yeah, so um, I'm not the most active person on Twitter, but um, my Twitter handle is N-S-D-C-A-R-E-Y. C-A-R-E-Y. Um, but you can also uh, visit Potato's website at um, P.O.T.A. .to. It spells out potato. Um, it's cool. one of those custom vanity domains. Um, you probably need to find a link because sometimes it's hard to follow. <laughs> I did try, I did uh, just check it before the podcast and I, I, I did get it wrong. So first of all, I did po.ta.to. And if you visit that, uh, you can try it, Nick, if you like. You visit that and you'll find, not surprisingly, a picture of a potato. <laughs> and also <laughs> and also, I visited pota.to and there's another picture of a potato. So I don't know whether potato have bought those domains and kind of just stuck pictures of potatoes there. But uh... Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. 
Yeah. There is some amazing potato stuff on the internet that I only found out once I was working for a potato. Really? <laughs> Classic. By the ability to send people a potato, that's actually a thing. <laughs> Very good. Well, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us from San Francisco. I've absolutely loved this conversation. It's been absolutely immense. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Nick. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it, too. That was Nick Carey of Potato. Wow, that was uh, to come up for air after that one. That was uh, absolutely mesmerising. Really, really, really interesting to hear. I mean, we, that podcast started out supposing to be a podcast talking about how voice and games can kind of interlink and intertwine with each other, advancing on the stuff that we spoke about with Gordon Midwood uh, over the last few weeks. But it turned into more of a, um, I suppose, a strategic uh, appraisal at how to go about positioning and creating and strategically implementing voice assistance in general. And I think there was a couple of main, really, really salient points that Nick was making. One is that although voice is the interface, it's actually the AI and the functionality behind the scenes that makes the assistant what it can and should be and I think that's where maybe us in the industry that are kind of got our heads down and and are kind of cracking on with stuff maybe we kind of overlook that sometimes in that it's not just about voice as an input or voice as an output it's actually about and it's not just about building you know question and answer skills and joke skills it's about kind of creating an experience and with the technologies that exist today we can we can create more personalized experiences um interesting in terms of where the parallels are from gaming to uh, to outside outside of that and other industries in terms of in gaming you already have a whole ton of data you've already got gaming data and you've also got player data so maybe something to think about when you're going through the process of scoping out what a voice experience might look like is to look at what kind of data do you have access to that you can pull into the experience because I think that's where really the key is to creating something that's engaging. And on creating something that's engaging, I really, really liked Nick's example of the utility versus affinity map and how if something is high, high utility, then you don't really need any affinity. You don't really need to have a relationship with that thing because it just serves its purpose. When's my package going to be here? What's the weather tomorrow? But as soon as you start having something that does require engagement, and this is what a lot of the branded experiences are designed to do, like the Tide Skill example that Nick gave, you know, when you want to create that relationship and you want to build engagement and you want to have something that's used time and time again and it has something that is successful over time, you need to build affinity and, um, you know, that's where Nick's example of building an assistant on an assistant essentially a character that you can relate to and this is probably an example of where if, if brands already have characters or mascots or the voice of the brand they all, if that already exists then you're in a really really good position because you don't have to establish that you can just transfer that across into the voice environment but for those brands who don't have that audio brand or who don't have that affinity with their users then that's where the work needs to be done fantastic episode thank you so much nick for joining us thank you dustin as always and boys and girls thank you all for listening until next time see you later